We lost a few games. Tough. That was District 5. Now we're the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. All right! Yeah. Quack. 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 Welcome to the Brian Kane Podcast, where today our guest, Lindsay Fry, is a young 27 years old, but don't be confused. She's already accomplished more than many people attempt in a lifetime. She played Division I women's ice hockey at Harvard University, where she earned a degree of history of science and holds an MBA from Arizona State University. She's a silver medalist with the Team USA women's ice hockey in the Sochi Olympics in 2014. After college, she launched her own business, Lindsay Fry Hockey, where she trains the next generation of women's hockey players at camps all over the country. An advocate for women and girls hockey, the hockey ambassador and advisor to the president and CEO for the Arizona Coyotes, a member of the NHL's first female hockey advisory committee, Lindsay was a part of a team that brought professional women's hockey to Arizona. She's also a speaker, a mental performance mastery coach, and she hosts her own podcast, the Lindsay Fry Hockey Audio Experience. Lindsay Fry, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kane Podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad you could be with us. You know, to, to get us started, we know that you grew up in Arizona. It's not really a place known as a hotbed for women's ice hockey. You know, when when at the time when you got started, it's my understanding that there were only 20 women in the entire state of Arizona that played ice hockey. Is that right? Yeah, when I was born, I think there were less than 20, and that was back in 1992, and that was ages 6 all the way up through 19, so a huge age range in a huge state, and we had that small of a number, so um, definitely not a common sport for girls here in Arizona when I was younger. What made you want to pursue ice hockey growing up in Arizona? So I actually happened to fall in love with the Mighty Ducks movies, uh, especially the second one. I loved it. That was the one where they played for Team USA, so it all was kind of fitting. Uh, my dad was actually commuting back and forth to Southern California at the time, so I got to go to some real Mighty Ducks games in Anaheim, which kind of fueled that. And finally, the parents got me uh, these Fisher-Price plastic skates that would strap on my shoes, and I'd skate up and down the driveway for hours, put a stick in my hands, and uh, I, was, I was hooked. So once you started playing hockey growing up in the state of Arizona where there's 20 girls ice hockey players in the entire state, obviously you had to start playing hockey somewhere and you started playing with the boys. How did playing with boys at a younger age kind of shape you as a, as a young hockey player? Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it was really my only option. So I'm really fortunate that I was the kind of young girl that it didn't phase me at all. Like I identified as a hockey player really early on and I didn't really care if that meant I had to play with boys, dogs, cats. Like I didn't care who I was playing with. I just wanted to play the game and I loved it so much. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, it has really made a huge impact. Um, I think it's really helped me as a build my confidence as a woman because, you know, a lot of women I think shy away or, or girls shy away from being around the boys, they're, you know, especially at younger ages, they're typically louder, more confident, uh, more aggressive out on the ice. And some girls really clam up and shy away. And I, I loved it. Um, when I was growing up, we, we could start checking at the age of 11 
and I've been 5'8 since I was about 11. Um, so I was about a foot taller than all the boys, and we played full check hockey, and I loved every second of it. So I don't know. I mean, I think I grew a really thick skin, um, had a lot of boys say some really interesting things to me. I learned the C word when I was about nine. Um, so I don't know. I think you just you build a different type of confidence and as I've transitioned into a business career, um, the reality is there are still a lot of men in the boardrooms. And I think it's, it's really helped shape my ability to have those hard conversations with men, stand up to myself or stand up for my, myself. Uh, and I think it's just really helped shape me as, as a person. You know, and, and there's been a lot of hard work that you've put in, you know, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. And you ended up playing at one of the most prestigious universities in the world and Harvard University, where you graduated with a degree in history of science. What was it like attending an Ivy League institution, Harvard, and balancing being a Division One college athlete? And for the listeners, when Lindsay was playing women's ice hockey at Harvard, they were competing for national championships. They were one of the top programs in the country. So not only is she getting one of the best degrees available, she's playing at the highest level of college sports and training to go out for the Olympics. Lindsay, what was it like attending Harvard and trying to balancing all of the studies and all of the athletics that you were invested in? Uh, well, my freshman year, it was a total train wreck. I'll start there. <laughs> um, you know, I had in high school, I switched to online school my sophomore year. So, or my junior year, excuse me. So, you know, I'm, I'm used to being able to school, go to school in my underwear, uh, make my own schedule, do my classes whenever I feel like it, like due dates were kind of loose. And now all of a sudden I'm at Harvard university and on top of that, now I'm, you know, coming in as this cocky kid from the West thinking like, I'm going to be a first liner. I didn't train for like a day the summer before my freshman year. So all of a sudden I had this huge shock, not only academically, but also with my sport, which was the thing that I was supposed to be the most confident in. Um, I was like a third liner for most of my freshman year, barely struggled to keep my grades up. I mean, it was, it was really tough. I think though, as I evolved and I really, you know, mentally learned how to handle all the different elements that going to Harvard and playing a division one sport brought, um, it definitely helped me learn how to balance everything. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me and we, you and I have talked about it a lot is just staying present. I mean, I remember my freshman year, I would be stressed about school. Um, I'd be stressed about things at home. I would just be stressed all the time. So I'd get out on the ice and I'm not even, I'm not thinking about the drills. I'm thinking about everything else going on in life. And I think as I developed through college, I started realizing that, you know, by my sophomore and junior year, um, I started realizing that once I'm on the ice, once I'm, I'm in the, in the glass, none of that other stuff can matter. Like I have to lock in and be focused right here, right now, because there's literally nothing I can do about my paper that's due tomorrow. So I think that was one of the biggest things that helped me balance it was just, you know, making sure that I was extremely organized, um, had everything laid out. I knew exactly what I needed to do and when, and making sure that when I was doing something, I was present and I was staying focused on that particular thing rather than obsessing about all the other things which is what I did my freshman year, and it was a mess. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Lindsay explains how she overcame an unbelievable tragedy and used the experience to help inspire others. 
when you're on the road as much as us and you are in every scenario under the sun from freezing cold conditions to uber hot conditions in death valley you want batteries that will perform for you for us it's core it's the only option and they have a new battery out called the Hypercore Neo. I'm going to have to read the bullet points on this thing because it's so crazy. But I promise you, we've used it in the field and it's transformed the game. It's less battery swap outs, more durable, more options than ever before. So it's TSA PreCheck, it's RFID, it's rubberized. It's got a USB so you can charge your phone, you can plug in accessories, you can do anything from there. It's got hibernation mode on it. It's a high current delivery, which is a new feature. And ultimately, it communicates with the camera. This battery is insane. Core has always taken care of us. We're ironclad and we're core driven. You know, during your freshman year, I think it was, you experienced a tragedy and lost a really close teammate and a close friend in a car accident. Could you yep. talk a little bit about that experience and kind of how you were able to, to manage and overcome that grief to continue your career? Yeah. So, uh, one of my teammates and and extremely close friends from high school who I played with in Colorado. We were line mates, um, super close. And uh, she got in a car accident two days, two days before Christmas, uh, my freshman year, and unfortunately passed away. And that was, you know, obviously extremely hard for anybody. But, you know, already having this experience, my first semester at Harvard, uh, just, you know, feeling really lost, feeling alone, having struggles with adjusting to all of the new challenges of being at college and away from parents and all that stuff. Um, then adding that additional layer. I mean, it was just like the knife was already in and somebody just like twisted it is kind of how it felt. Um, you know, I think, the rest of my freshman year was definitely a struggle dealing with that grief. But I think that the turning point for me was actually the summer after my freshman year. Um, I, I honestly, I don't really know what did it, but I think I just, I decided one day that, you know what, this isn't, this isn't what Liz is going to want for me. Um, you know, I was ready to quit hockey. Like I was, I was done. Like I just going to the rink only brought me pain. It didn't bring me joy. And I think I finally realized that, you know what, this isn't, this isn't who she intended for me to be or wanted me to be. And, um, I wanted to continue to be that teammate for her and, um, kind of live our dreams out for us because she couldn't live them anymore. Um, and I, I really decided that, you know what, I'm going to use her memory instead of having it bring me this, this grief and this depression, I'm going to use it as fuel and use it as energy. And I literally remember like training at 11 o'clock at night because it was the middle of summer in Arizona when I'd be home and I'd be just talking to her like out loud in my driveway as I'm doing sprints, just talking to her and imagining everything she'd be saying back to me. And it just got me fired up. So, um, I, I think that that definitely helped. And, you know, obviously the next couple of years were still a struggle. It's, it's something that definitely stays with you for a lifetime. But, um, I think I always just tried to come back to the good memories and thinking about, you know, the times that we would train together and how we both had this Olympic dream and we both had this D one college dream. And, um, I think, you know, if I could mentally get myself back to that place of positivity, it helped me stay grounded. And I know that you, one of the things you did to help you kind of stay grounded and stay motivated was you carried one of one of her jerseys with you. Would you talk a little bit about kind of that and what that was symbolic for you? Yeah. So, you know, she passed away my freshman year um, and I 
really started making my Olympic push my junior year. Um, so that was really when I started training uh, for the World Championships in 2013, which would be the end of my junior year. Um, that was the first time I had made the national team again since I was 18. So there had been kind of this two or three year hiatus. Um, played in the World Championships in April of 2013. And shortly after that, I get a call from USA Hockey and they said, you know, Lindsay, we've got Liz's under 18 team jersey, Team USA jersey. And they said, we know you're close to the family. Uh, we have a couple different options. We can mail it to them. We can hang it up in her memory at one of the Olympic training centers. But we figured it would be nice for you to reach out to them and ask them what they would like us to do with it. And so I called her mom and, I, you know, we talked about some of the options and her uh, I knew that Olympic tryouts were about a month away at that point. And we, we just kind of hemmed and hawed. And finally her mom said, Lindsay, what do you think we should do with it? And I was, I secretly was really waiting for her to ask that question. Cause as soon as I got the call from USA hockey, I knew what I wanted. And I just asked her, I said, you know what, if it's okay with you, I'd really like to carry it with me and carry her with me for as long as this journey goes. And so I brought her Jersey to Olympic tryouts. I brought it with me throughout the entire training season and I brought it with me to Sochi. So she was, she was there with me the whole time. And, you know, the story I always tell people with that is, um, and the reason it's even more special is when we played our last game in high school together, um, she was committed to go play at Minnesota. I was committed to go play at Harvard. We were, you know, sobbing our eyes out because we, we, you know, our season was ended and we weren't going to get to play with each other anymore. And I remember like, one of us, I don't remember who, one of us put our hand on the other one's leg and we said, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't going to be the last time we play with each other. We're going to work our butts off and we're going to play on an Olympic team someday. Hmm. And so obviously when she passed, that wasn't a possibility anymore. But to me, you know, we had a roster of 21 in Sochi, but in my mind, we had a roster of 22. It's awesome. You know, and, and get making it to Sochi was not sunshine and roses and the easy path for you by any means. No. November of 2013, you're preparing for the 2014 Winter Olympics and a Team USA coaching staff member pulls you aside and has a pretty scary conversation with you. Do you remember what that conversation was about? Yep. Uh, it was actually right after Four Nations, um, which was odd because Four Nations, I had basically in a game against Finland that we played very poorly and we lost. Um, I was essentially responsible for two of the goals in the game, but then the next day we played against Canada and I scored my very first goal ever against team Canada. So I'm having this conversation after we're back from four nations with our off offensive coach. And she, she, she says, you know, how'd you think you played this past weekend? And I was still so jazzed about the positive. I completely forgot about the fact that two of the goals against Finland were my fault. And I go, you know, I, I feel like I'm playing pretty well. I, I got that goal, which felt nice. Um, I was just coming back from an illness, actually. So I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm getting my feet back. And she goes, okay, well, I wouldn't agree. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. She goes, if I'm being completely honest, like you better start playing better. You're not going to make this team. And I was so like dumbstruck 
because in my mind, this was like this great conversation and she was about to pump my tires. And in reality, she was telling me, you better figure it out this next month or you're off the team. Um, So that was like a really, it was a huge conversation for me. Um, And honestly, the next couple of practices weren't great. I mean, I was gripping my stick so tightly. I was so nervous. I was freaking out. My parents had already bought their tickets in their rooms to Sochi. Like it was, that was a really challenging time. And um, you know, fortunately one of the other coaches kind of pulled me aside later and said, Hey, like play your game. When you play your game, you are, you belong on this team. When you start obsessing about everything else, that's when you struggle. And I remember like, I finally just said, it, this was like one of our last practices before, uh, the holidays. And I just decided, you know what, like, regardless of what happens, like, I just have to be me. I have to play my game and I have to have fun. And it was like the first practice, the entire Olympic training season that I had actually had fun and I played out of my mind. And like, I remember getting kind of this like nod from the coaches, like they kind of gave me a look and that honestly, I feel like that's when I knew like, okay, Hmm. I'm, I'm good. I made it. I'm safe. (laughs) You know, so, so at this point, Lindsay, like, you know, you're, you're, you're told, Hey, you gotta, you gotta play well this next month or you're not going to make this Olympic team, which has been a big part of your dream as a high hockey player your whole life. But even now there's more fuel on the fire to take Liz's Jersey with you to Sochi. So you guys get to play that last game together. So at this point, like all the hard work, all the training, all the time training at 11 o'clock at night in Arizona, when it's the only time during the day that you can train when you're home for the summer, all of this is put in risk. And you were able to mitigate this risk and actually use this adversity to your advantage, which is something that you've talked about doing your entire career. What were some of the mental performance techniques that you used at this time? Even if you didn't even know it, like back when you're a college athlete, obviously now you're a certified mental performance coach and you could probably look back and say, this was this technique. This was this technique. But at the time you may not have even known what you were doing. What was it that you did now that you reflect that you'd say, this is what helped me bring my game to the next level and allowed me to make team USA and be an Olympian. Like how'd you manage all that adversity? After the break, we learn how utilizing mental performance techniques help Lindsay overcome adversity and take her game and her life to the next level. Are you ready to go into the fray? The Ironclad team specializes in developing films, online series, and content for the world's greatest brands, organizations, and outlets. Now we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and most dangerous places on earth. Go behind the scenes with the world's most cutting-edge filmmakers in Ironclad's new video series, Into the Fray. Each installment takes you on some of the world's most exotic locations to meet adventurers, inventors, warriors, and real-life heroes who've dedicated themselves to forging new paths. We utilize some insane equipment and some insane storytelling tactics to make these things happen and ultimately bring you stories that haven't been told before. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at This Is Ironclad to make sure that you never miss an episode. And remember, new installments drop every Friday afternoon. Adventure beckons. Will you come? Um, I mean, honestly, I think I really found the balance between pursuing the outcome but obsessing about the process. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't have put it in those terms 
five, six years ago, but you know, that's really now I think how I would identify it. And what I mean by that is, you know, I obviously had my end goal, which was to make that team. Um, and I would do a lot of mental imagery around that. Um, I would envision myself, you know, having my name literally announced when coaches were reading the roster, I would visualize, you know, being on the ice in Sochi, I would visualize having a medal put around my neck. So I would often visualize kind of the, the end goal. And that was really what I think motivated me every day of like, okay, it was, it was that daily reminder of, okay, why am I, why am I training so hard? But then day in and day out, I was obsessed about the process, like arguably to a fault. (laughs) But I mean, I, I had a a quote that I would write everywhere, which was constant dripping hollows out of stone. And it was just that reminder that I may not see results today, tomorrow, next week, or in a month, but I'm going to see them in two months, five months, nine months down the road when I really need those results to kick in. Um, I would, as far as like thinking about the process, I mean, I, I knew what I could control was the process. And for me personally, a lot of that came out in, uh, my training and my eating. So I, you know, was really diligent about what I ate, which is never something I had ever focused on in my entire life before, but it was a controllable. So I, I really focused in on that, um, training. I, I just basically focused on like, obviously we had trainers in college, which was awesome. So I focused on making sure I was locked in and trying to really maximize every single workout I was getting. But when we would travel, I mean, I literally, when we would get back, I wanted to just be an inch better than everybody else on my team. I wanted to be just a little bit better than every other college player. And so we'd get back from a two game road trip and I'd hop on the bike after I unloaded my gear. Sometimes it would be like one in the morning, but I'd hop on the bike just for 20, 30 minutes just to be able to feel like, Hey, I put in an extra inch into this process. I did a couple extra drips on the stone today. Like I, I feel good. So, um, I, I always had that end goal in the back of my mind. I always had the outcome in the back of my mind, but I became obsessed with the process. Constant dripping howls out of stone. You know, that sounds like somebody who is, is, you know, very philosophical and a part of, part of mental performance, I think is, is having a philosophy on how to train, how to live and you know, what you do and don't do. It's like, once you really understand this stuff and you really study it and you practice it in your daily life, um, and have achieved something with it. So you know that it actually works. I think it's so much easier to recognize it and coach it. So for me in anything that I've led, whether it's coaching a team, whether it's leading our, our leadership team for the Kachinas, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, um, I think it's, it's really helped me help those people. And I think it really helps me when I am leading, um, especially, and it's, it's some of the simple stuff, like getting people to kind of take a step back and say, okay, is that something that you can control? What you're frustrated with right now, or that person that you're frustrated with, is that something you can control? And they sit there and they're like, okay, well, no. And it, and it's just, it's so interesting because you know, I did, I did a little, I don't even want to call it a workshop. It was like this casual conversation with my fiance who coaches, uh, lacrosse and her, uh, assistant coach. And they were just like yammering about all the things that they were so frustrated with, with their team. And I said, well, Hey, you know, we just started getting into it. I was like, well, have you thought about controlling the controllables? Have you thought about really as a coach thinking about process driven coaching? 
um, thinking about, hey, I'm not going to tell you go 100%. I'm going to tell you get 10 shots this half or this quarter. Um, And I think, again, like when it comes back to your question, how it's shaped me, um, I think it's just when you understand it and you, you have an elite mindset yourself, I think it really enables you to get the most out of not only yourself, but other people. And I think that's something that I'm super passionate about and I try to take into everything I do. And, um, it's been, it's been great. Julie, you got the fast glove. I know this kid's move. Triple deke, glove side. Anticipated and you got it. What if he goes stick side? He's fancy. He'll go glove. Don't hesitate. Let's go. In a surprise move, Bombay has gone to his bench. He's sending out Julie Gaffney to replace Goldberg. She'll face Gunnar Stahl. Go get him, Julie! Lindsay, if you were to talk to somebody like yourself, motivated athlete, wants to get to the next level, wants to achieve and they face some adversity in life, whether it be in their sport or in their personal life with the loss of a loved one or a friend or any adversity that, that can show up for the college athlete. If they want to get to that next level, what would you tell them now, knowing what you know, that maybe you didn't know when you were going through it about the benefits of mental performance coaching? I think one of the biggest things is to recognize that oftentimes adversity usually drives an emotional response, right? Like when Liz died, I felt sad. I felt grief. I felt, you know, all of these emotions. It doesn't matter how hard you train. Like I could go and do a thousand push-ups. It's not going to change how sad I feel. Like that that's all mental. So, I think, you know, one of the biggest things I would tell people is at the end of the day, no amount of physical training is going to help you overcome obstacles like frankly like injuries if you get hurt like yeah you can do some rehab you can do those things but all of the training that you put in you still got hurt so how are you going to get through that that's all up here that's all up in your mind um if you have a coach sit you for a game because you weren't playing well no amount of you know skating after the game is going to help you get out of that that's all mental so i think just you know for me i would really walk through all of those different, uh, all the different adversities that an athlete's facing and really just help them understand that at the end of the day, a lot of their response to the adversity is up in their head and that's where they need to be coached to get better and get through that. Um, and I think that's, that was one of the biggest things for me is recognizing that this has literally nothing to do with how hard I train and everything to do with how well I can be locked in with my mind. They say, if you have a big enough reason why, you will always, always find a way how. And Lindsay Fry, your reason why drove you to the how of becoming an Olympic medalist, graduating from an Ivy League institution. You're the hockey ambassador and the advisor to the president and CEO for the NHL's Arizona Coyotes. You're a member of the NHL's first female hockey advisory committee. You were part of a team that brought professional women's hockey players to Arizona. Tell me about your hopes 
for the future of women's ice hockey. Whew. How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot. I mean, right now women's ice hockey is in a pretty fragile state. If I'm being completely honest, um, we had two leagues last year. One of them shut down. That was the Canadian women's hockey league. Uh, the other league stayed afloat, which is the national women's hockey league. But most of the elite players in the national women's hockey league, uh, decided to protest and start up a different entity called the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And they've been traveling around the country on what's called the Dream Gap Tour, uh, promoting their product and fighting for a more viable, sustainable hockey league for women where they get paid and they get treated equally as professionals compared to the men. Um, Honestly, I don't know what the future holds. I think the reality is we are still a ways away from the women having a league that is totally comparable to the NHL. But my hope in the next five to 10 years is we at least provide them something where they can make a livable wage um, and can truly feel like they are playing professional hockey. We're not there yet. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot of passionate, smart people who care deeply about the success of women's hockey and about the success of, you know, girls and women's sports as a whole. Um, all having the conversations with each other to make it happen. And I'm fortunate enough to be somewhat a part of those conversations and some of the roles that I'm in. So um, we'll see, but I'm, I'm hoping in the next five to 10, we have a legitimate league for these women. Awesome. If there's anybody that can help pull that off, we're talking to her. It's Lindsay Fry, Olympic medalist, Harvard graduate. And Lindsay, the last question I have for you, if you could take the skull cap of everyone listening to this podcast right now, and you could plant one seed inside of their brain, and that one seed would germinate and take fruition inside of them. What would that one seed be that you would plant inside of the brain of the listeners to this podcast? Constant dripping hollows out of stone, man. I'm telling you, that that is everything right there. And at the end of the day, the root of that is consistency. Nothing good happens just doing something once and calling it a day. You have to be consistent day in and day out if you want to achieve anything in life, whether that's in academics, whether that's in your personal life, making sure you're taking care of your relationships or whether that's in your sport or professional life. So constant dripping hollows out of stone. Um, just a little, a lot can go a long way. And I, I hope the best for everybody listening. Constant dripping hollows out of stone. It'll also channels into Olympic medals, Ivy league degrees in the finish line of an Ironman race. What Lindsay didn't mention is she's also a a triathlete who does Ironman triathlons, Ironman, Arizona finisher. Lindsay, thanks for being with us for the listeners. Please check out fryhockey.com. That's F R Y hockey.com to learn more about Lindsay and her career and be sure to connect with her on Twitter. It's at Fry Hockey, again, at F-R-Y Hockey. And check out her podcast, the Lindsay Fry Hockey Audio Experience. Lindsay, thank you for making the time to be with us. Thank you, Brian. That was awesome. Had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked this show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. That's at B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N-P-E-A-K. I'll see you next time.